0: So i'll start out with the question how many of you are left handed left handers raise your left hands this okay oh gosh, this is unbelievable okay so all the left hand left handers here left handers here left handers one here none on the right side that's unbelievable Amen have a great sunday so so here. That's, that's astounding. It goes to this point that I didn't really believe when I did research this week. So, um, so left-handedness, right? Now let me ask you this. For those of you who are left, lefties, how many of you are glad, like you like being left-handed? If you're, if, you li- if you're left-handed, you like being left-handed, raise your hand. Okay. Now if you're left-handed and you're like, I don't really like being left-handed, raise your hand. Okay, so about, it's hard to get. There's not quite enough of a demographic sample here, but it kind of varies. So here's the interesting thing. So, by the way, I'm, I'm sort of a left-handed wannabe, so, like, I do some things left-handed and some things right-handed, right? And it's sort of weird, like, the kind of the, the thing that's the most odd is I play tennis left-handed, but I play ping-pong right-handed. So, I don't know. Go figure. That's the way I am. But, so here's the interesting thing. There's definitely some advantages to being left-handed, right? So, like, as a, as a tennis player, when I serve left-handed, my serve just bounces in a funny way, gives me a little bit of an advantage. Um, in baseball, if you are left-handed, it's an advantage to be a left-handed pitcher is, is kind of an advantage there. Uh, but one of the things that I came across in my research, so to speak, is that um, people who are left-handed have the advantage of standing in shorter lines than people who are right-handed because people who are left-handed gravitate towards the left the lines in a grocery store or a checkout or an airport or whatever gravitate towards the left but people who are right-handed gravitate towards the uh towards the right right and so when you do that there's less left-handers so the lines gonna be shorter which when i had you raise your hand all the left-handers are over here that's like i don't know somebody it's amazing absolutely amazing. Oh um, my gosh, if you guys could all come back in the second service, that'd be great. I don't know what else I would talk about, but here's the thing, is being left-handed also has a number of disadvantages. Um, so when I was growing up, I played baseball, and as a, in baseball, if you're left-handed, you can't play second base, base, you can't play third base, and you can't play shortstop, and if you can talk your coach into it, you can play little league catcher, but you can't play um, catcher past that, right? So that's a little disadvantage. Um, lefties, and this is where you guys are probably feeling most pain, is lefties have a hard time writing, right? Because you're supposed to have your angle, your letters curved this way, and you see a lefty writing, they're all like curled up like this, trying to to get their, uh, their writing the right, the correct way. Scissors are made for right-handed people. Like all these people are like, uh-huh, amen, this is great, <laughs> are all this way. Um, lefties have difficulty eating, not like putting food in their mouth, but when you sit at a table, like at a restaurant, and there's like five people in a row, the lefties are always bumping elbows with the people next to them, right? Um, and then there's one more. My brother's left-handed. He's like a pure lefty, and so I asked him, like, what are some of the struggles of being left-handed? I had never thought about this, um, but if you have a really cool coffee mug with a, or you have a mug with a really cool logo, then people don't, (laughs) that's true, (laughs) Uh, that people don't see the logo, because a right-hander, it's made for right hand, so the cool logo faces everybody, but if you're left-handed, the logo faces yourself, and people don't see the cool logo, so anyway, and all of my lefty friends said amen. Now, None of you, I'm not going to say most of you, none of you came to church this morning because you wanted to hear a lesson about the biology and genetics and struggles of left-handed people, right? I I assume that you came to church this morning because you want to know and learn, how do I grow in my love for God and my love for people? Or maybe you came to church and you're kind of checking out Christianity and you're like, I don't know why I came, but I did not come to get a life lesson in left-handedness. But regardless of why you're here we're talking about left-handedness just for a moment and i'll stop now um, because we're going to look at a guy in the bible whose name is ehud and he is the only person in the bible who is mentioned as being left-handed there could have been other people but he's the only person in the whole bible who's mentioned as being left-handed because of what happens with him and what he does um, is very significant to the fact that he is left-handed and so we're going to look at Ehud. This morning in his story. So, uh, if this is your first time at River Ridge or if you missed last Sunday, we are in the book of Judges for about seven weeks this summer. So, go ahead and find the book of Judges uh, either on your phone or in your paper Bible. It's the seventh book of the Bible, it's right after Joshua and right before the book of Ruth. And so, uh, if you missed last week, I really would encourage you to listen to last week's message because we talked about chapters 1 and 2, and I laid a foundation for the book of Judges. And a lot of what we're going to talk about builds on that. You'll be fine today and figure out what we're doing. But it's really a, a good foundational message to understand an overview of the book of Judges. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, also, when you walked in today or last week, you got a reading guide in the book of Judges. I'd encourage you to read that. Read the book of Judges. It is dense. It is hard. It is complicated. Um, There's some things about it that make it hard to read. Um, but I would encourage you and challenge you. If you want to kind of step up in your faith, go for it and go ahead and read it. Um, and then I also recommend a resource Uh, by a guy named Tim Keller, and he wrote this uh, companion kind of commentary, simple commentary, for the book of Judges called uh, Judges for You. So uh, if you want to grab that, and many times as I've been reading, I'm like, what does this mean? And then I open up Keller's book, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And he adds some great insight. So I encourage you to have that as a companion verse, or a companion along with that. Now, um, last week I introduced you to a cycle Um, And this is a cycle that we see in the book of Judges. And I want to show this to you. Um, And what we see all throughout the book of Judges is this uh, seven-step cycle repeated again and again. And when we go through the book of Judges, we will see this. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. But right before this, and we'll keep this graphic up just for a moment, right before this, there's a verse, it's not on the screen, but it says, So the land had rest for 40 years, and then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died, right? So that would be step six, which would be peace for that number of years, and then step seven is he died, okay? So that's what comes in chapter 3, verse 11. So what do you think comes in chapter 3, verse 12? Sin and idolatry. Okay, so let's open up, and we will see how correct you are. It says this, says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the cycle begins. So there's peace, the judge dies, and then the people begin to get into sin. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so that next, uh, the, the, um, the little graphic I showed you says that after that, then God becomes angry and then sends uh, an oppressor to uh, kind of get the people of god back in the right place and so that's what happens in verse 12 uh ver- the end of verse 12 it says this and the lord strengthened eglon the king of moab against israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the lord he gathered to himself the Ammonites. And the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. The city of Palms is the city of Jericho. It's kind of the nickname that's given here. So it names this guy Eglon. So Eglon is a Moabite. So this is the Moabites, and they're partnered with the Amalekites and the Ammonites. So those are not any of the sons of Israel. Those are kind of the bad guys, if you will. And they are worshipers of foreign gods, of Baal, of Moloch, of these kind of different pagan gods. And so they have taken over Israel, right? Now, one of the things that we'll see as we read through the book of Judges, as we'll look at Israel and we'll say, this is what they did, this is a good example, let's follow this. That doesn't happen real often, honestly, in the book of Judges. Or we'll see this is a bad example of what they did. Or we'll look at a judge and say, good example or bad example, as we kind of look at this. So we look at the next verse, verse 14, and it says and the people of israel served eglon the king of Moab, 18 years and i bring that up to you because the fact that they lasted for 18 years without repenting because in that cycle the next part of that after the oppression is then the people repent but it took them 18 years to cry out and say god where are you god would you rescue us and i share that because As we as followers of God, I don't want us to wait 18 years. And this is kind of a side point, but like when we sin, when we realize we're in our sin, let's be quicker to repent than 18 years. Let's repent as soon as we realize what God's truth is. And then the cycle continues, says this in verse 15. It says, Then the people of God, excuse me, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benj- the Benjamite, a left-handed man. So 18 years, they cry out, and then raises up Ehud. So it tells us a number of things about Ehud. It says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, and the tribe of Benjamin, inside kind of their borders or boundaries, was Jericho, or what he calls the city of palm. So this is kind of a hometown boy, if you will. And then he says that he is a left-handed man. Now, here's why that's significant, and you'll see how this kind of unfolds as the story goes on. But it says that he was left-handed. And the way that this reads in the original language, and scholars and people who are much smarter than me, um, the clarity here is that he was left-handed not because he was necessarily born that way, like left-handed dominant. Because in this culture, everybody was basically forced to be right-handed. But with him, there was something that was wrong with him with his right hand, so he had to be left-handed. Now, we don't know, was it a birth defect? Was he injured? Was it something later in life, earlier in life? But he didn't have the ability to use his right hand. And so therefore, he had to be left-handed. He was left-handed out of necessity. You know, and in our culture, to be left-handed is is kind of cool, kind of neat. Kind of like, you know, hey, Southpaw, how you doing? Hey, what's up, lefty? In this culture, it was not that way it all. It was a weakness. It wasn't honorable. It it was almost shameful to be left-handed. And he was left-handed. And the narrator of Judges points that out for us. Again, it'll come back why that is in a little bit. So it says this. It says, uh, the people of Israel sent tribute by him, so they sent it by Ehud, to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. So a cubit is about maybe 14 to 16 inches; it's about that long. And so he takes, uh, he makes a little sword, basically, basically a dagger, and he and he puts it, uh, he puts it on his right thigh, kind of inside of his clothes. Because when you draw a sword, we're not used to drawing swords, but you draw it from your so, if you're right handy, you draw your sword that way. While well, you always see it kind of on somebody's left hip. And so this was a sword that was on the left, on the right side, so he could draw it out like that, just a little short sword or a dagger. So then we look at this and we go, okay, well, he has obviously put this on Ehud's heart to be this judge, to be kind of a liberator of Israel. And so it says that the people went to Eglon to pay tribute. And so because he was dominant, because he had all control, the people would go and they would basically kind of offer bribes or kind of like get him to like them. So they would bring him, you know, olives or tomatoes or peaches or Ellen's ice cream or avocados or whatever it was. They would bring him. They didn't bring him Ellen's ice cream. I just want to make sure you're paying attention, right? So but they would, they would bring the king stuff and they brought him this tribute. So this group of people goes to bring him this tribute to kind of win their favor. And and Ehud is part of this uh, kind of group of people that go. Then it says this in verse 17. It says, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, right? So whenever it gives you a detail like that, like left-handed or fat or sometimes a place, it's like, okay, why is the narrator giving us that, and that's why he's fat is going to come up a little bit later, and it's going to kind of play into the story. But Eglon is this kind of king who is evil and, and, and lived with kind of all of this authority, and, and I kind of like to bring the Bible to life. I'm like, who would be a modern day Eglon? And so this is uh, one of my choices. So we've got Jabba the Hutt. He's a good, like you can kind of picture him sitting on the throne of the Moabites, right? Uh, or here's another one. Boss Hog, right? So, people like that. So that's the thing. And and so he's a left-handed guy, and he's taking on a fat guy. And I read an article this week, and the article of the the title of the article was "Lefty versus Hefty." I thought oh, that's kind of cute. So, so here's what happens. Verse 18. He says, "And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute." But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And so what you've got is, so they go, he's got the dagger, right, but he doesn't use it. And they go and they pay the tribute, and then they're walking back. And then he gets to this place called Gilgal. We'll come back to that in a moment. Again, when you see a name of a place, it's usually significant. They get to Gilgal, and he returns and says, Hey, you guys go on. I'm going to go back by myself. And see." So he goes back, and he says to the king, he says, Hey, I have a message for you. It's a secret message, and it's just for you. And so he sends out the attendants, the people who are kind of waiting on him hand and foot. And then in verse 20, it says this. It says, and Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message for you. And he arose from his seat. So Ehud comes to Eglon, and he's like, I have this really important message. And it's so important, or Eglon thinks it's so important, that he stands up. And that was not normal for a king. A king sits in his throne, and people, and they come and they bow before him. But he, in this case stands up it says he arose from his seat and then it says this it says and ehud reached with his left hand and he took the sword from his right thigh and he thrust it into his belly and the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed around the blade for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and dung came out okay that's nasty like, let's just, let's just call, I mean, that's nasty. He takes the sword, he sticks it in to a fat man, goes in so far that the fat closes around it, and out spills, like, they call it dung, like, it's poop. We know what it is, right? Just call it what it is, and poop, this foul stuff begins to flow out of him. Like, that's just gross. Like, let's just, it's just gross. That's nasty. This is like a middle school story right there. So then here's what happens. It says, then Ehud, uh, it says, then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet closet of the cool chamber and they waited till they were embarrassed so you can kind of picture this if you want or you can not picture this if you want right but you've got the servants who are outside the door is locked and their king the guy they serve is inside and it smells like dung like poop and they're like man like what is going on in there like why the match bro this is not good Right, I mean, you you can kind of picture that scene, and again, like it's church, but like we've all been there. Like somebody's in the bathroom, and you're like, "Man, what is taking so long?" And like, do you wait? Do you knock on the door? You okay in there? Do you need some Febreze? I mean, we, we say these things, and we're like, how long do you wait? Like, what's the amount of time that you wait that somebody's in the bathroom, it smells, and you got to leave, right? It's like, we got to go, in, you know, it's that sort of thing. And it says, they waited so long till they were embarrassed. Like, what do we do here? Because it's taking a long time. Then here's what they do. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Turns out he wasn't going to the bathroom at all. He was dead, and that was the smell. And then here's what happens as the story finishes up. It says, Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sierra. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down from him, from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And so as he locks the door, as the smell is coming out of the fat man, it stalls them just long enough because they think he's going to the bathroom in order for Ehud to escape. So he escapes back to his people, and then it says this. Then they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. So the land has rest for 80 years. And then we looked at the cycle. What do we think is going to happen next? Ehud dies. And then the unrest comes back. And that's what happens. So that's the story of Lefty versus Hefty. Now... When we read these stories, and and I kind of want to give a caution, like you read the story of a judge, you're like, oh, that's a good dude. Let's imitate him. That's not always the case. As you read the book of Judges on your own, and I do hope that you'll take that challenge, as you read the book of Judges, sometimes you will get to a judge, and it's like, I don't want to follow that guy's example, and you shouldn't. Ehud is actually one of the judges who is very much like, he's a hero through and through. And so we're going to talk about three things that we can imitate from his life. Here's the first one, the first quality of Ehud to imitate, is Ehud had a heart for God's people. Ehud had a heart for God's people. Do you remember when Ehud um, was passing, he, so he went to the king, and then he went back, he was on his way back, and he got to a place, a city. Does anybody remember the name of the city? Gilgal, good, thank you for listening. Okay, so Gilgal. Now, it says this in verse 19, it says, But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So he goes to Gilgal, and when he gets there, he sees these idols. And it was these idols that caused him to go back. You know, we don't know why he didn't take action against Elgon Eglon originally, right? Maybe he was scared, maybe he's like, Did God really talk to me? Maybe it wasn't the right opportunity. We don't know. But he's walking back and he gets to Gilgal and he sees these idols, and there's something about seeing these idols in this place that causes him to turn back. And the reason he turns back, because Gilgal is significant. Okay? And I'll tell you part of the story and read part of the story. So going back a little bit historically, Israel wandered around the desert for 40 years. God said, come into the land. And then what God did to allow them to come into the land is the Jordan River dried up and they walked across. And then God says, I want you to take 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel, and I want you to build a monument here on the Jordan River in Gilgal as a remembrance of God's, of my faithfulness to you. That happened in Gilgal. This is Joshua chapter 4 verse 19. It says the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean, then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground so i want you to leave these stones up and when your kids say what are these big stones for why these rocks all piled together i want you to remind them of the faithfulness of god and so here we have ehud walking past gilgal and instead of these standing stones reminding them of the faithfulness of god what does he see he sees these idols And it was a reminder that the people of God have gone way off course. And I think it was that moment where he's like, my heart is for God's people. And I cannot let us continue to be oppressed and have to worship these other gods and have these people with Eglon as our king. And it was then that he turned back and went and did what he did and he struck and took down Eglon. As we look at that, I love the fact that there was something that said, I need to change. Because, again, we don't know why he didn't do this the first time. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe it wasn't the right timing. Maybe, who knows what. But he goes back and he says, I've got a job to do. He was bothered because things were not as they were supposed to be. This was supposed to be the people of Israel living peacefully in the land of Israel. But it wasn't. He says, I've got to go back. He had a heart for what God's heart was about. And so I want to turn that to you all, to us as an application, say, how about you? What is it that bothers you that is not the way it's supposed to be? You know, it, if, if you know the Lord's Prayer, that we get to that part where it says, um, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The way that things are supposed to be in heaven, that we work towards that on earth to make the world the way that God wants it to be. And so I ask you that question, what is it that God lays on your heart that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There aren't supposed to be kids who are abandoned by their parents. There's not supposed to be teenagers who are abandoned. There's not supposed to be kids who grow up this way. There's not supposed to be people who lack friendship. There's not supposed to be, and you look at that and you say, what role do you play? We have a thing that we talk about at river ridge about spiritual growth and it's this kind of diagram of connect with god grow in community serve on purpose and the fourth one is go with hope we go with the hope of jesus christ and so and that sometimes we go across the street to our neighbor and sometimes we go across the ocean to another country but we go with hope in all kinds of different ways and so to ask you that question what is god calling you to do Or who is God calling you? Or where is God calling you? And we could put—I kind of put it like this—as a fill-in-the-blank. And I wish that everybody could fill this in. And you know the answer, but it's this: Is I bring hope? I bring the hope of Jesus to. How would you fill that blank in? Who has God called you to bring hope to? Maybe it's teenagers. Maybe it's teen moms. Maybe it's unwed mothers. Maybe it's foster kids, maybe it's college students, maybe it's people who struggle with addictions, maybe it's people who struggle with depression, maybe it's people who struggle with anxiety. Maybe it's people in Kenya. Maybe it's I don't know what it is, but who do you feel like God is calling you to bring hope to? Because if you can fill in that line, like we as a church will go forward and impact this community in this world. But if you as an individual can fill in that line, you will have so much purpose in your life as well. Here's the second. Is Ehud offered his weakness for God's purpose? Again, we don't know how Ehud's right hand was injured, but he was left-handed. And more than likely, he didn't like being left-handed. It was just difficult. It was a weakness. He was seen as, as different because of just the culture that they lived in. It was something that he didn't want. We too have weaknesses like that as you think about that in your own life what is the weakness that you wish you didn't have i wish i wasn't so heavy skinny klutzy absent-minded introverted unathletic non-musical nerdy insecure jealous addicted I wish I wasn't so. Because Ehud would join you in that. And he says, I wish I wasn't left-handed, but I am. You know, and sometimes it's it's who we are. Sometimes it's stuff from our past. And we look at our past and we say, I wish that I wasn't. I wish that this hadn't happened to me. I wish I didn't have a highly sexualized past. I wish I didn't go through a bitter divorce. I wish the affair hadn't happened. I wish that. The abortion hadn't happened. I wish that, and we have all of these things that go through our brains. I wish that they, but we can't go back in times. We can't change the abuse that we had. But God can redeem that. That God can redeem the difficult and horrible things of your past and give purpose to that as you minister to somebody else who is going through that same difficulty. That's what happened with Ehud. He freed a nation. But you have the opportunity to bring freedom to people in your life by sharing your weakness in your past. And that stuff that you wish was not true about you. Many of you know um, Sarah Benzing. And you may not know her by name, but Sarah Benzing is the woman who plays keyboards and she's in a wheelchair. And she and I have become pretty good friends over this last year. And she's in a wheelchair because, um, or sometimes she walks with a walker, um, but because she had an accident about six or seven years ago, uh, kind of a tragic accident that, very tragic, just weird circumstances that left her so that she has to use a wheelchair or walk in a walker, um, and so she actually, she's a phenomenal athlete, so she plays wheelchair tennis, so I've taken to the wheelchair and we do battle and have a lot of fun out there. By the way, I'm up two to one in the series, Sarah, just so you know, okay, um, but she's getting better and I'm not, um, But a few months ago, um, she was playing keyboards, and the worship team uh, did a song called Goodness of God. And in this song, it has this line. It says, I will sing of the goodness of God. and all my life, you've been faithful. and all my life, you have been so good. And I'd sung that song dozens of times before that, but I saw Sarah up here on stage who plays... Sitting down, has a wheelchair, has these boundaries, has these, and she would tell you it, it, it's a weakness. But she lives this truth out of offering God's weakness, God, offering her weakness for God's purposes. But to see somebody sing the words, I will sing of the goodness of God, and all my life you've been faithful, and all my life you've been so good. It just speaks to somebody who's being used of god in an extraordinary way like i've seen todd and crystal and and now people sing that song but to see her sing it just it's just different um and it's inspirational and i share that with you because we have weaknesses but can we allow god to use them i want to give you one last one as we bring this to a close is ehud gave the lord credit ehud gave the lord credit he says this he said to them follow after me for the lord has given your enemy the moabites into your hand he doesn't take the credit he gives credit to god and i just want to close with that that whatever we do whatever we accomplish it's god's You never says i did this he never regales the story Man, i'd be telling that story all year long he doesn't tell the story he just says god did this and now it's ours would you bow with me in prayer I encourage you just to take a moment before the Lord and just consider what is it that he's putting on your heart. God, would you bring to mind the application or applications that you want us to take from this message? Lord, would you bring to mind the weaknesses that we have? the Weaknesses that we wish we didn't have? And show us how can we use these weaknesses for your purpose and your glory? And Father, you have called us to bring hope to a broken and hurting world. God, I ask you this morning, would you show us who you want us to bring hope to? Bring that to mind. Let us fill in that blank. Have I been called to bring hope to? And what goes there, Lord? Show us who, show us how, show us where that we might do what Ehud does and bring glory to you through our lives. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this word to us that is rich and dense and tells us so much about how to live life and how to have purpose and meaning. God, would you allow us to live this way? In Jesus' name, amen.